part seven of Alan Hudson's American Dream. Oh, we've covered an awful lot of ground through the American Dream, my love, my music, Hood at 50, etc, etc. But on the last podcast, we started by talking of alcohol and your favourite bourbon tipple. How's that doing? Is there still any left in the bottle? Well, I've still got a few empty bottles, actually. I'm looking at one now and it's about uh, a Quarter full Crown Royal Deluxe, uh, which uh, I discovered in Seattle in 1978-79. So that will stay with me. That will always be my great memory of Seattle. And, of course, Rolling Rock. That was was that a Canadian drink? I I was shopping the other the other day. I was with one of my old ladies, and we're talking about Rolling Rock. And someone said, "From Canada, that is, mate." I thought, "Blimey!" In the middle of Arbonne, but it certainly is a North American uh, lager that you liked, and you can't get it over in this country, can you? It's not no, a it's license. More, it's more. Uh, uh, I discovered that as well in mm. Florida. In Florida, that was they didn't have that in Seattle. I don't think. Yeah. They. Uh, when I was in Tampa Bay, spent a lot of time in Tampa Bay, down in Florida, and I found that in one of the bars and fell in love with that. It was, you know, beer's not really my kick, but uh, this is nice beer, you know. Uh, and then, uh, strangely enough, I come back and I was, when I finished in Stoke, uh, my second spell at Stoke, uh, we used to pop in a little bar on Hearts Hill where Tony Miller actually nearly got his pub. Uh, the other month, and uh, um, we used to go in this little place opposite where Tony was going to get the pub, and they had Rolling Rock in there, the only place I've ever known in England to have it, so it's unbelievable. There obviously are places out there, somebody might listen to this and go, well, we got it, but I, I've never I've never found it anywhere else, Paul. Great, great stuff. Absolutely. Where it I'm sounds going. like we're a couple of alcoholics talking over the phone, <laughs> you know. Comparing uh, liquor, but uh, it's uh, it's it's like anything else when we do the shows, and it? it's a uh, um, uh, whether it's a song or a beer or whatever, something reminds you of a place, and I think that's what life's all about. That's why we watch movies, you know, because uh, to remind us of, of uh, special memories, and I think that them places are very special. I mean, when you get you know. That's what annoys me with today's footballer, you know, and uh, they, the when they cheat and everything like that, you know, they've, they've got a, professional football is such a great profession, mm. uh, and from the age of fifteen, being an apprentice, and you get you, you get to see the world, you know, uh, and you know you go what, depending what club you're at. That's why Waddington was such a great manager. He liked to go on trips. He had an own, he had his own turnstile at Stoke, I believe, that he used to use to <laughs> take us on trips all around the world. And, you know, he, he, he used to say, I think I mentioned it on, on one of our shows, that he, you know, he'd take boys away and bring them back men, you know. And, you know, that's where you get your memories from, you know. I was at such and such a place when that I found that or I discovered that, you know. And it's, uh, it's a, it, traveling's a, such a fantastic education. Uh, and I think, um, I think if you've got these main people on TV, I'm very sad to hear the thing with Graham Saunders. That was a disgrace what's happened with him on telly because 
he's a you know apart from Roy Keane, who's a little bit uh, scatty at times, but he he's been there and done it, and he he knows what he's talking about. And Graham Saunders is probably the master on television of. Uh, talking about football and he was a great player himself and uh, obviously I told you that the, the thing what he did for my friend in Seattle when his kid was dying young Tommy Jenkins you know and he Graham sent him a message because he was a Liverpool supporter you know and it's things like that you don't forget that you know and Ferguson you know when I was at Stogan and another place I met a Manchester United supporter who was dying of cancer and uh, he was such a nice fellow you know it was one of those hits home again it's always a good and and uh, and I wrote to Sir Alex and I you know I told him all about him and next thing you know, there's a parcel come through. I didn't expect anything. I don't, because you can imagine how many offers he gets. Yeah. And uh, a couple of days later, this fella's kids come in crying, you know, and he said, what you done for my dad was incredible. I said, well, I didn't do anything. I said, uh, these are the things you don't read in the paper about Alex Ferguson, you know. Uh, he sent that package here. So, you know, it's, uh, you know, these people, these football fans that we always go on a off about you know that don't realize that the the, what was also a human race you know Mm. it's it's all about you find out who's who in it and uh and you know people like alex ferguson are you know right ahead in that race you know because they're good people and they care they, they care about people and it's people get the wrong impression uh of the mavericks and people like that you know i Don Shanks called me from Tampa the other day, and uh, you know, and I said, "Look, mate, you, it's always going to be hard for the likes of you and, and me. You know, we've done the coaching school in Stoke, and it was a fantastic success, but we had no money." I said, "But you know, we're 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 the bad guys, you know, and we'll always be looked at the bad guys. We don't get the help, you know, we deserve." Absolutely, I don't think you're looked at as the bad guys uh, in the eyes of normal people, um, in terms of the press etc in the media you were the guys that didn't conform and therefore they can't control you if they can't control you they move on to uh, people that they can control and I guess like Graham and I guess like some of the older guys on TV these days they're almost uncontrollable and they can put these puppets and muppets in the place that will laugh when they're told to laugh they will do what they're told to do and it's just dumbed down tv and it's dumbed down football but where i was going with the alcohol and we're not alcoholics but we both do like a drink it's all about the licensing and in bermuda licensing got you into trouble didn't it so let's start there well, Bermuda's a, a, one of those unfinished business things with me. You know, I've had two two trips there. Once we, me and a great friend in Stoke, um, Terry Bate, and, and another friend, Trevor Cotton, we we took on the world and we come unstuck. We met a fella called Rodney Marsh who, who let us down and, and he's one of the bad guys in my eyes. Yeah. Um, and we ended up through a tournament falling apart in Tampa Bay that we ended up in Bermuda on a one-way ticket, which had never been done before, I, I'm led to believe. Uh, but me and uh, my friend got there and we ended up fast forward a month and we was under house arrest. So, you know, and I I, I know I was at Chelsea the other week with a couple of Bermudans and uh, who live, they still live there and... Uh, I did, they didn't know anything about this. I didn't know them at the time. And, 
it was a uh, it's the most amazing story i mean we were very very close if, if we and it, it, the most ironic f part of the bermuda uh situation was out of all the you know that's that that story you know out of all the bars in all the world it's uh there was a the head copper in bermuda on that island was from stoke-on-trent and he didn't know anything about football i don't know where he found his family and to find out who i was or whatever but he saved their life you know if we would have got a bad cop we we, we could have been put away quite easily you know uh but absolutely you know of course i knew uh clyde best who's big on the island and it's just such a small island uh it's an amazing place uh but i've, I've been there twice and been once i've been there on the house arrest and so I got married, which was a disaster. So I've, I've got some unfinished business. I'm, I'm, I'm still thinking a third time lucky. If my case goes as well as I think with the FA, then I will, I will return and hopefully come out unscathed. But the but, the house arrest scenario, it, it come about due to the tournament. But my understanding is from reading your posts on your fantastic Facebook pages, I've got to say, Al, and by the way, guys, there are a number of uh, merchandise, commemorative T-shirts. We've done many podcasts that I said at the top of the uh, the show here today. Hudson 73, Hudson 74, Hudson 84 in particular were iconic 12-month periods for you, well, because it was A, the last 12 months at Stoke City, B, the first, uh, sorry, the last 12 months at Chelsea, first 12 months at Stoke City, and 84 was when you saved Stoke City from the rapids of relegation and steered them through to the calmer waters of uh, survival on the final day when your mate done you a favour, although he says he didn't, but you beat Wolves at 4-0. Uh, but those commemorative shirts are all available on srbmedia.co.uk forward slash shop and we are putting them on all our media network outlets alan hudson's admin page uh, srb media's page etc etc so you can get them from there but the licensing and that beer you were you were selling them wasn't you the, the alcohol but you didn't have a license that's how you got arrested wasn't it it was yeah it was uh, the amazing thing about it was um you know while you can still not work out is that i sat down with a top man mm -hmm. uh with the the main brewers on the island the gosling yeah and uh, they they supply everything they they said oh, my, my friend over there at the time had a had his own club nightclub but you like it was as a kind of day night club where it's a, a nice kind of place where you could t take the wife or girlfriend or, or both um and that was all gosling everything went everything went through gosling what i can't understand to this day uh is why before they sold us the, this huge amount of alcohol is why they didn't tell us we needed a license yeah to sell it yeah why how to i mean we're two three strangers on the island uh they didn't really uh, they, they it wasn't as if they knew me personally as a footballer a former footballer but uh, 
they just sold us without telling us that you needed a license to sell it. And they let us set the whole stadium up, take over all the bars, get ready for it. And it was almost as if it was a setup. It was, and then a day before we sold one pint of beer or a glass of beer, uh, a cop turns up on a motorbike and uh, I went over to see him. I was going to welcome him to the match because it was just before the match. So just got his bagpipes were out for my friend and Aberdeen were there. And uh, I, I said, it was a lovely Bermuda night. And uh, I said, can I get you a beer? And he, he said, no, he's, I said, he said, I'm actually on duty. He said, and I've, I've got to tell you that I'd like to see your license. And that was it. You know, they pulled, pulled the plug on us. Uh, so that, that's what the, yeah, that's how it all came about. And, uh, I was kind of looking over my shoulder for help and, you know, there's no one there. Um, and the next thing you know, up crops Inspector Harrison. And uh, he was a lifesaver without really knowing it, you know. Um, he didn't do us any favours by any stretch of the imagination, but he just he just did warn us, you know. He said uh, that every word out, there was three of us and, and a fellow called David Connolly who had the club. He said, if the, I, I hear one word from any of the four of you that is not becomes an untruth. He said, there's a place on the edge of the island called Casemates and you'll be in there. And he said, you come out with you, if you get out, you escape, uh, but you'll have AIDS. Uh, and if you stay in there, you'll never come out, you know, if you don't escape. It's one of those. It was... And all the and where they put where they put this case mates is where all the cruise boats come into the island. So <laughs> if you've got if you've got bars on your window, which you obviously have, so you see all the cruise ships coming in, and you think, oh my god, what am I missing? You know. So it's one of those. You know, it's not like Wormwood Scrubs or anything like that, where they put and where they put the chain. I make the great chain robber and all that. You know, there's no cruise ships anywhere. You know, they just cut off from the entire world so yeah it was you know it was really it was you know i had to rustle up a, a great friend of mine in london for, called jack bannon had to pull up some money as well to get us off the island and i mean we come out you know we were innocent and they knew it it was just a matter of that what happened is when we took over the stadium and took over the bars the bars are usually open for any event I mean, there's hardly any events go on there. That's the thing. It wasn't as if we were treading on anyone's toes. Uh, and then they said, well, this ain't going to happen, you know. And uh, But it did happen. We played the game. Aberdeen played. And uh, we come out there. And we were stuck on the island for about six, eight weeks. And it, it was, and there was another couple in the, in the Belmont Hotel with us. And they were out on a golfing holiday. And every day we came in, we'd been out. Uh, enjoying ourselves, followed by a cop or two, you know, in plain clothes, and and they say, "Well, we paid a fortune for this holiday, and you you're you're stuck here, and you can't get out," <laughs> you know. <laughs> so I said, "Well, you know, they say uh, it doesn't crime doesn't pay, but we haven't we haven't really done a crime, but we you know we we're, we're charged, and now we're stuck here. But what what we're we're in paradise, you know." So there was there was an upside to it, but it ruined ruined the relationship with my girlfriend. We finished. It ruined my other friend's marriage, uh, and I lost the house. He lost the house. But you, so we come back. We had to start again. 
So it's not. It's all uh, my stories. Uh, they're they're always funny, but they're they're very. They're, you know, I never I never come out the you know on the good side of it. You know. Parky but, was uh, absolutely right about you, though, wasn't he? When he said that, apart from being abducted by an alien, there isn't anything that hasn't happened to uh, Alan Hudson, but, you know, give it time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, even yesterday, I've been this morning, I'm smarting this morning because over a bet I had yesterday, and I went to, I went to have a bet yesterday, you know. Uh, I'd, I'd lost, uh, I backed Bournemouth to beat Chelsea, which I think they should have done. The fellow Mr. Header would have out a go, and I think Chelsea, Frank would have suffered another defeat. Uh, but they come back and they got two late goals. But uh, And I, I, I went out and had another bet. I backed Cremonese last night in the Italian league, and they won. So I got my money back. But when I got to the betting shop, I was... I thought I had more money than what I did, and they wouldn't give me the right price. And because I've got a dispute with Paddy Power, I go in William Mill. And I woke up this morning, although my bet won, I've woke, I've come, I'm about £1,500 down. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable. And that is what happens when you back a winner. It's a good job it, it, you actually won out. To be fair, you do. You well, know. yeah. Well, that would have that would have at least that fifteen hundred quid would have uh, at least doubled. You know, but that would have been a deficit. But I mean, I got out of trouble, and I can hold my head out and go out and have a. It's my uncle's birthday today, and so I'm going out for lunch with him. So that will cover that one. So I, I won enough yesterday to cover today's uh, excursions. Um, but that's what happens, even. You know that song. Even the bad times are good, and everything else. You know, it's uh, it's amazing, really. But uh, you know, when you've been when you know after the car accident, when you took so many knocks, you it, it's it's amazing how you do get used to it. You know, it's water off a duck's back, isn't it? Really, you know, you've been through a lot worse. It's just the way it is. So uh, you just take yeah. it in your stride and get on with it. We were talking well, I, about. I, I, I find a very, very brave face, mate. I, I've got yeah. a great, I've got, I've got a mask, and I, I put that on when I go out, and everyone think, oh, he's the happiest man. When I was in hospital, my, my, my friends and family couldn't believe that. How, how can you be happy in here? And I said, well, it's, a, it's where I am. This is where I'm going to get better. So yeah. make the most of it. And I said, and a happy face is better than a miserable face. So you know, I'm going to fight this with a happy face. So that's the way it goes. And I believe that a smile is, uh, you know, laughter is a is a very healthy thing. Absolutely, it's also contagious. Uh, gambling and happy times in America with Seattle was in England. There's always been a, a card school, and and players have always liked to have a little bit of a flutter. Although these days you certainly can't bet on yourselves. Was there anything like that out in America? Did you find a culture like that when you was first went out in 1979 to Seattle? Well, but I was very fortunate in many ways that. The king of the jungle was out there, wasn't he? Yeah. Uh, Harry Redknapp was assistant manager to our great friend Jimmy Gabriel, passed last year. A wonderful, wonderful man. And Harry was out there. And Harry, you know now, since he won the king of the jungle, he's got more horses and he's catching J.P. McManus up. But, um, yeah, we, we used to go to a, a, a terrific uh, racetrack there called uh, Long Acres, and that was out. And we used to come in and uh, have a day out and come in the next day, and Harry would be in the reserve team coach at that time. You know, he used to give the, the lads tips, you know, 
I remember the couple of tips we did on the show about uh, they, they're still looking for the horses running now. One was a loose button. Uh, he said, you got back, look out for this horse, loose button. He said, he's got to come off, you know, and they they couldn't get the, they couldn't get the joke. The Americans couldn't get it. And the, he said, the other ones, uh, he said, you got to look out for a dusty carpet. Uh, he said, it's never been beat. And they didn't get it. They didn't get it. And this is this is the Harry the the Harry Redknapp uh, book of jokes, you know. So he was a funny bloke. And so Harry and I and a couple of a few other lads would book a table and go down to Long Acres. And you know, it was like a a working holiday. It was, uh, but as I've as I've stated many times, you know, I've always said to the kids who, who were in our team and were on the brink that uh, this is a. I also always used to try and take them out and have a good time with them but i'd i'd, I'd make the point that the training the next day is you know got to train harder than ever you know so it was good it was uh people that used to run the, the that league down have got the wrong idea of it all you know there was so many brilliant players over there young and old and uh it's coming to fruition now and uh Obviously, we've touched on my answer there, and you know, hopefully, these kids can go on and do, do a bit of better while while he's manager. You know, absolutely, he's doing superb, isn't he, at the moment, Anthony? We're going to talk about Anthony in a short while, but I just want to dwell on 1979 at Seattle when you went over there. Jimmy Gabriel was a the manager, then Jimmy left, and and um. You know, when you actually, you're talking about something and then momentarily you forget Alan Hinton's name. I mean, how can you do that? But Alan had a bigger budget, didn't he, than Jimmy? And he brought in, you know, not being disrespectful, but a better quality of player. Hence, in 1982, you had that fantastic season. But in 1979, he brought over Ron Davis. Now, a lot of people would not have been aware of Ron Davis, certainly in America and this country, the newbie football fans and the Johnny Come Lately's and the young kids. But Aaron Harland has just scored 35 uh, league goals, which is apparently it's a world record. Nobody's ever scored 35 league goals. But when they actually look at football did start before 1992, they realised that there was a goal-scoring chart. And Ron Davies topped it twice, 66-67, He scored 37 goals in the first year. And then he equaled with George Best, 28 goals. But then Ron, at the end of his career, he came out, didn't he, and played in Seattle with you. What was Ron Davies like? Well, the, the amazing thing about Ron was um, I made my debut against Ron in 1969, 68-69, uh, and he, he played for Southampton, and Jimmy Gabriel played, and Ron Davis played in my debut, and they beat us 5-0, and I never see the first team again for another six months when we won the FA Cup. But by the time, the, the, the great journey, again, the great thing about football and, and the journey, the path you go down, uh, next thing you know, I'm in Seattle, Jimmy's my manager, and who I love dearly. He passed last year, and it was terrible. Um, great man, uh, and he, he brought Ron Davis over. Now Ron was at that time 
35, I suppose, 36, and uh, he was on his last legs, and he could, oh, this man was, uh, you know, uh, I suppose to some run-up, you could call him the Oliver Reed of football. (laughs) I mean, this fella could party. He could party, and he could, you know, he was a clever, he was a brilliant he said to me one day, I was talking about football about him, and I said, he said, oh, he said, you, he said, I've never seen a player like you. He said, well, what you in trainers for? And he said, yeah, we can do things that I've never seen. Uh, he said, but I've got to tell you one thing. He said, they, they never get me. I said, what's that? He said, they can't mark you up in the air. <laughs> he said, and that's where he was. And right, Ron used to have this unbelievable knack of getting to the far post and hanging there. Yeah. I don't know how he got it. I remember years and years ago when I was apprentice at Chelsea, the, the, they reckon the great Tommy Lawton, uh, who was a, they reckon the, the best, like John Charles and all yes. them. Uh, he used to he used to do a lot of this. Well, it wasn't training, but they reckon he, he could go in the snooker room at Chelsea and he would do a standing jump onto the snooker table. Yeah. And that was how he would practice his leaping to, to get up as high as he could it's, you know where you see these old things around the pitch where they hang balls up and players run around and head the balls with Tommy Lawton used to jump on snooker tables you know that, it's a little bit like saying Duncan McKenzie jumped over minis you know or whatever you know but the, the little things like that well they're they're things that you let people get on with and think well let them do their own thing but if you got a coach today they would they would stop that they would say that's too dangerous don't do that mm. you know uh, and then they say, well, no, this is how I learned my trade, you know. And Ron somehow had this gift, and it was a gift. I mean, the, the times you're talking about was when he scored four goals at Old Trafford with four headers, yeah. you know. And and you could have George Best, Bobby Charlton, Dennis Law all day long, but you got someone like, I remember John Sydenham, I think, was on the wing, and he made the four goals, and he just crossed them the far post, and in come Ron, you know, the, you know, that was when Billy Falks, you know, the, the the team that won the European Cup uh, in 68, that was, you know, around that time, just mm. before that. And Ron and Manchester United, I think he went to Manchester United in the end, didn't he? He did, yeah. 74, 75, yeah. Yeah, but that was far too late. Mm. It was far too late. But he could, they were after him in the late 60s. Uh, and he would have been an incredible asset to their team. And he was such a great fella as well. You know, I used to get on. And then he moved down to Tampa later on. I moved down to Tampa later on. And and we started partying again. It was like an ongoing thing, as I say. You know, if I see Oliver Reed on a film the other night, funny enough, and I thought Ron Davis, you know, I thought you, I'd like to see you go, you know, toe-to-toe with Ron, you know. I think uh, Ron would have come out maybe in front. Because he was a big, strong boy as well, wasn't he? He was 37 when uh, when he joined Seattle. He played 22 times and, and scored uh, one goal. He also Well, he played centre-half, Paul. That's Did he right. really? Yeah, he didn't oh, play right? centre-half. Yeah, he didn't play. That's, that, was a, that was a story with Ron. If anyone that reads the record books would get the wrong impression yeah, of yeah, him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could, you could look at it and say, well, he didn't score many in the NSL. Well, he played centre-half. Yeah. Uh, and when we, when we, you know, this was this was when Jimmy Gabriel was there, and uh, you know he brought him in to fill uh, a space at the back. And Ron, you know, Ron was he had no legs at that time, and 
he was there just for a good time and mm. you know and and he had a great time and he was a great fellow it was great to have around the dressing room it was you know he was it was this word they use today legend ron davis was a legend you know in wales you know i, I remember seeing him play at wembley in the home international him and win davis you know his twin yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, where there were no relation and i don't even think their names were spelled the same but it was um yeah, I I remember him then, and you know, the, you know, Terry Hennessy played, and you know, all people that you know, they you meet these people in that path along, and the great, fantastic, unbelievable characters, you know, which is something that we lack today. You know, when England go on to into these competitions, there's nobody with the character of an Alan Ball. You know, Alan Ball was famous for going out and partying, and you know, he there was never a dull moment. You know, and and yet his performances, his consistency level was incredible. Yeah, there's something about the modern age and the modern game, and they seem to think all you can drink through your football career is water because it helps your career, it helps your fitness, it gives you a a longer uh, career in the game. But, I mean, that's absolute garbage because Ron started in 59 and, and ended up in 79. So, you know, he had he had 20 years pretty much at, at the top. You guys, I don't think any of the players of today that drink water can hold a candle to you players that drunk something a little bit stiffer than water well, well, in the I olden days. I, I, I agree entirely. And I think the greatest example, before we overlook the greatest example of all, is one of my all-time favourite players was Teddy Sheringham. Absolutely. Uh, he played at the top level until he until he actually finished, and he was just a great example for any kid to watch. Uh, I, I watched him from Millwall right to the end and at all his clubs, and he was stumped. You know, he took over from Eric Cantona, which was one of probably the hardest pair of boots to fill, and he was superb. And uh, I've, I've seen him out three or four times, Ted, and uh, every time I've seen him, he's had a glass of alcohol in his hand and to listen to the rest of this podcast head on over to www.patreon.com forward slash srb media thank you